Well, good morning. It's it's good to be with you. I had a really, really good time with these guys this weekend, and we did stay up late. I think Kevin and I called it a day about two in the morning. Um, and I, sorry, I don't remember your name, but this guy on the back row had about five shots of espresso at about 11. They, uh, they have a coffee machine at this place that, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And I don't know if I'll ever see anything like it ever again. That thing is next level, but, uh, I'm honored to be here with you this morning. And, you know, it was an encouragement to be with the men of your church, uh, to be with Keith, um, these guys love Jesus and they love one another. And I was, I was telling Keith this morning, you know, one of the things I know about pastoring is sometimes you don't know how much of an impact you're making. You can kind of wonder, like, is there fruit? Like, is, is God doing anything with all this work that I'm putting in? And sometimes, like, when somebody from the outside has a different perspective, they can see what maybe you don't see. And I don't know what he sees or doesn't see, but I just wanted him to know, and I want you to know that I see God at work in your church. I see one of the things is that the New Testament talks about us as the church primarily as family. That's who we are. We are God's family, and we are his sons and daughters together. And I love that when I am with City Church Garland, I see that that's the way that you actually live and treat one another. You don't see each other as People that you worship with once a week and then go about your separate lives. Um, I can tell that you love one another and there's a family here. And so I hope that encourages you as a church. Um, but it's actually my second time to be here. Uh, a couple few years ago, back in the spring of 2019, before I moved down to the Houston area, I was here one morning. I actually played the drums over there and then came over here and preached and it was a lot of fun. And uh, so it's good to be back and I wish my family was with me again, but they are back in Cyprus where I live. And uh, Keith kind of said a little bit about them. But my wife, Lexi, the smarter, better looking half, uh, and I have been married for almost 12 years. And we have a daughter, Sydney, who's nine years old, and another daughter, uh, Lucy, who is six. And the way I like to put it as a guy who has no males in the house is I live in the middle of the estrogen ocean. And if my family was here, they would not laugh at that, and they would tell you, don't encourage it. His dad jokes are not funny. But at any rate, I just thank you guys for having me, and I've been really looking forward to our time together today for a long time. I don't even know how long it's been, but it's been over a month, probably a couple months since we've been talking about um, the, you know, this weekend, so really excited to be here. But I want to begin, uh, as I transition into what I believe the Lord has for us this morning, I want to begin with this question. It's a rhetorical question. Do you think that, by and large, people are becoming more or less faithful? Do you think people are becoming more or less faithful? Statistics show that the divorce rate has actually been on the decline for a long time, and it hit an all-time low in 2019. And if you're like me, that's like, what? Huh? When I first read that, I, I did not believe that. So on the surface, according to that statistic, at least in this area of life, in this area of faithfulness, it seems like people are becoming more faithful, right? Well, as college football personality Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friend. Because that's only half of the story. Over the past 70 years, 
the marriage rate has also been on the decline, and it hit an all-time low in 2018. And so what I would submit to you is maybe people aren't becoming more faithful. They're just becoming noncommittal, and they are unwilling to put themselves in a situation or a position where they would ever have to be faithful in the first place. And I'm not here to share those statistics to begin a sermon on marriage. We're not going to talk about marriage today. That's not the point. But here's why I share that with you, because it demonstrates the reality and this is, this is not new, but I would say it's, it's not getting any better. And that reality is that faithfulness is hard to come by. Faithfulness is hard to come by. Men and women of character, boys and girls of character, people who mean what they say and do what they promise to do are rare. And when it comes to being faithful to God, I would argue it really gets even worse. And, and this, like I said, this is not new for all of human history from Adam and Eve all the way to today to you and me. History proves that it is flat out hard to be faithful. It's difficult. And even when we want to be faithful as, as, as Christ followers, when we want to be faithful and we try to be faithful, many times we blow it. It's true. We, we failed. That's what we talked about just a moment ago as we observed communion together. It's why we need Jesus, because we fail. But on top of that, on top of the fact that we sometimes fail, those around us, sometimes even the ones that we thought would help us to be faithful and encourage us in that endeavor, often hinder us. And our fight to be faithful gets even harder. What should we do about that? What can we do about that? Can we be faithful when those around us are not? Can we be faithful when those around us are not? That's what I want to talk about and explore with you this morning. So if you would turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 22. 2 Kings 22, it's near the beginning of the Old Testament after you got First Kings, of course, and before that is First and Second Samuel. We'll be in chapter 22 this morning. And as we look at chapter 22 and 23, actually, we are going to observe King Josiah. We're going to look at the way that he lived his life, and we'll discover if you and I can be faithful to God. Before we read, I just want to pray one more time and ask the Spirit to speak to all of us, including me, beginning with me today. So let's let's do that together. Father, it's such a joy to be here with these brothers and sisters. It's a joy to worship you in song. It's a joy to take communion and be reminded that even though I fail and we constantly fail, you never fail. And you love us so much that you sent Jesus to take all of our failures onto himself and to pay the price for that, to defeat our sin on the cross and through his resurrection. And so we just praise you for Jesus. We rejoice in our King. And Father, we want to be men and women who are faithful. We want to grow in faithfulness to you, to our families, to our 
spouses, to those around us. We want to be people of character. And so we pray that you would help us towards that end. Ultimately, Father, we want to see Jesus today. We want to hear from you. We want your spirit to have his way with these next few minutes. I pray that you would speak through me, that I would not speak of my own will or my own accord, but only of what you would have for each one of us. And so we submit ourselves to you. We say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Second Kings chapter 22. If you uh, are open to that, follow along with me. I'm going to read the first seven verses. We'll stop and talk about those and then continue. So Second Kings 22 verses 1 through 7. We read this. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. So Josiah was only eight years old when he became king. And that is frightening thought, in my opinion. We talked about, you know, Solomon uh, yesterday morning. And we were talking about how he became king at 20. And that's scary. But eight, I mean, gosh, <laughs> I don't know. That just kind of like causes me to tremble. And why did he become king at eight? Well, his father, King Ammon, was so wicked that his servants murdered him two years into his reign. And to make matters worse, Josiah's grandfather, King Manasseh, was the worst king that Judah had ever had. He worshipped all kinds of foreign gods and idols and, and encouraged the nation to do the same. And he even sacrificed one of his own children. Just disgusting stuff. But Josiah was different. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And I love that description because though Ammon and Manasseh were his physical father and his physical grandfather, King David who was way up the line, the king after God's own heart was Josiah's spiritual father. That's who he got his character from. In spite of that heinous lineage between David and Josiah, Josiah turned back and lived faithfully before God. And I just want to say this before I continue. Who your daddy was, what he did or didn't do does not define you. 
Your earthly father does not define you. They may have been an ungodly man, but you don't have to be like that. Your bloodline does not supersede or limit what God can do in your life in the man or woman that he can make you to be. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that. So don't fall victim to the lie that you're defined by the sins of your father or mother. But as we read, when Josiah was 26, he began repairing the temple that Ammon and Manasseh had left in ruins. And though 18 years had passed between Josiah taking the throne as an eight-year-old and repairing the temple, all that time he had been developing spiritually. His character had been forming. This faithfulness root in his heart had been watered and it was beginning to flourish. And according to Chronicles, Josiah began to seek the God of his father, David, at the ripe age of 16. And he started removing places of idol worship in Judah at age 20. And so if you're in this room and you're a student, you're a teenager, it is never too early to start seeking God and to set your life on his foundation. Even if your friends or your family members fail to honor God, you still can and you will never regret it. Even though the others around Josiah were unfaithful, including his own father Ammon and his grandfather Manasseh, he was faithful. And how do we know that? Because Josiah valued God and his work. He began to rebuild the temple. So if we want to be faithful men and women, it starts with being people who value God's work as Josiah did. We don't have to do what everyone around us does. Many times what people around us do is just plain dumb. And if you need evidence for that, just remember back to when people were eating Tide Pods. We live in a society where people were eating detergent. Or I don't know if y'all remember about a year ago, there was this fad where people were stacking milk crates and trying to like climb up on top of them and making videos of themselves doing it. And then like, I mean, it wasn't just like 20 year old people, 30 year old people or like 70 year olds getting in on this. And a lot of people were breaking their arms, going to the hospital, all kinds of just nonsense, just trying to do something funny. Sometimes people are stupid. And most of the people around us are living their lives with no regard for God and they are hurting themselves and others. But we don't have to be like that. We can value God and we can value what he is doing. And we can be faithful when others around us are not if we will value God and his work. But look with me to verses 8 through 20 to see what else Josiah does. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book, And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king 
commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words, works, words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Man, say that twice. <laughs> now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked with her and she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that it's king, that, that the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. Stop there. So Josiah's men are working on the temple and they find the book of the law. I mean, you know it's pretty bad. Like, remember, there's no Bibles. There's no uh, version app on their phone. They got a scroll. They got one copy and it gets lost. And you know a, a nation has left God when they don't even know where his law is. But they find it. And one reason Manasseh was so unfaithful to God was that he despised God's word. And he let it get lost. And notice the descriptions of the law and what they reveal about the people. In verse 8, Hilkiah tells Shaphan that he found the book of the law. But when Shaphan tells Josiah about it, he refers to it as merely a book. I found a book. And Hilkiah, the high priest, recognized the law as sacred as God's word, but Shaphan missed it. He missed it. And what I want, don't want you and me to miss is how Josiah responded to the law. He didn't just recognize that it was God's word. He was undone by it. It says that he tore his clothes. An act of penitence, of grieving. And when he immediately realized, when Shaphan read God's law, Josiah immediately realized that he and his people had been living in direct disobedience to God. And according to God's word, the consequences weren't just dire, they were deadly. And that's why he tore his clothes, because he realized that they were under God's judgment. And so he sent his men to find a prophet to interpret the law for them. Instead of consulting Jeremiah, Zephaniah, or one of the other prophets at the time, Hilkiah and the others went to Huldah, a prophetess. Kind of interesting. We don't know why they picked Huldah, but God used her to interpret the law for Josiah. And she correctly prophesied that the Lord vowed to bring disaster upon Judah for forsaking him and worshiping other gods. God was sending them into captivity, which is the captivity men that I was talking about with Nehemiah. That was the captivity between this and when Nehemiah um, was on the scene. And they would not escape This fate, what she told, what Hulda told them was they were not going to escape this fate no matter what Josiah did. Though Josiah's fate was sealed, Hulda did hold out a glimmer of hope 
or I'm sorry, though Judah's fate was sealed, she did hold out a glimmer of hope for Josiah. Listen to this. Look at verses 18 through 20. Turn back there. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. So because of his heart of humility, because of his response to God and his word and his his commands in the law, Josiah would not have to watch Judah be carried off into Babylonian exile. He would die before that would happen. He'd be spared of that disgrace. Because he humbled himself before the Lord. So if you and I want to be faithful people, if we want to be men and women of character... We must humble ourselves before the Lord as well. We have to take responsibility for our personal failures. We need to stop making excuses for our sin and start mourning it. And rather than blame those around us, we've got to own up to our own wrongs. But on top of that, we've got to learn to confess the ways that we have collectively blown it as God's people as well. And I know this runs against everything in our Western ultra individualistic mindset. You know, we kind of think you do you and I'll do me. That's our culture. But may we never forget how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. This is always fascinating to me. In the Lord's Prayer, there's not a lot of I statements. There's not a lot of individuality. There's there's a lot of collective um, kind of understanding ourselves as as people, as a group. And what did he say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, or as we've forgiven our debtors. It's a collective repentance, a collective asking for forgiveness. So we can be faithful when those around us are not, but we must be people who humble ourselves before the Lord. That's how we become men and women who are faithful. So what other faithful actions did Josiah take? If you'll look at chapter 23 with me, we'll look at the first three verses. It says this, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And he could, and the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant. When they brought back Holda's interpretation, Josiah immediately gathered all of the nation's leaders and they went to the temple and he called the entire nation together, both small and great. Everyone and their brother was there, everybody. And then he personally read God's word to them 
And as soon as he read it, he made a covenant before the Lord. He renewed a vow to be God's people and to live like it. And how did Josiah commit to live? To walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul. And the way I would put it is Josiah vowed to do the right thing for the right reasons in the right way. It's it's kind of a paraphrase of these long words. And all of the people followed Josiah's lead and joined in the covenant, vowing to follow God. And much like Manasseh and Ammon before him, Josiah's example influenced the nation and influenced the people. Only this time he influenced them in the right direction back to God instead of away from him. So Josiah made a commitment to obey God's word and he taught God's people to do the same. Now, for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to summarize verses 4 through 20, but I encourage you later, go read it, because it's pretty... It's pretty staggering what you'll see there and what you'll find there. Um, but to put it plainly, Josiah cleaned house. I don't know how else to put it. He went to every site of idol worship, every high place, every altar and destroyed them. Destroyed them. He slaughtered the false priest and temple prostitutes, and he even burned the bones of the godless ancestors on an altar to a false god, defiling it. I mean, holy smokes. Sometimes the Bible is like, you don't need uh, to use your imagination at all. It is like so vivid, right? Why did he do that, though? Because he obeyed the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And he knew that he and his people were so susceptible to idolatry that if he left one single idol, they would find a way to worship it. And so he obliterated every last place of idol worship. Just as an aside, that's the way we should pursue holiness and righteousness in our own lives. Clean house. Even if it's morally neutral, if you worship it, get rid of it. Flip over every stone in your heart, in your life, in your house, in your family. Thank you. And uh, do whatever it takes to pursue holiness and righteousness. And realize if we leave any corner, any little place that that is susceptible to having a hold on us we will find our way back there and we will we will naturally apart from god's grace we will drift right back into idolatry that's why he did that so are we willing to be that devoted in our own faithfulness to god i mean after all in matthew 5 jesus taught us if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away it's hyperbole, but it, but it speaks loudly, doesn't it? So are we willing to get rid of anything that might tempt us to sin? That's the question. But let's read verses 21 through 25 to find out what else Josiah led the people to do. 23, chapter 23, verses 21 through 25. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. 
For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. According to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. So he taught them to obey and keep the Passover in accordance with God's commands in Exodus 12 and Deuteronomy 16. It had been since the times of the judges since Judah had kept the Passover the way God had instructed them to. Now, why was the Passover such a big deal? It was important for at least two reasons. It reminded the people of their story how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And it also taught each generation to trust the same God to be powerful and good to them. It was more than just this ritual it was a way to continually kind of direct their minds and their hearts back to who God is and what he had done and to, to instill in them a confidence that we can keep trusting him. We can keep worshiping him because he is that good. He is still that powerful. That was the idea. It, and, but we're going to come back to um, this, this idea of Passover a little bit later. But suffice it to say that Josiah was resolved to obey God's word and he led others to do the same. That's what this illustrates. And then in verse 25, we read another glowing description of Josiah. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. The author repeats this description of Josiah's obedience from verse 2 with all his heart and soul. And this time he adds with all his might, with all his might. Josiah obeyed God completely. This description comes from the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Josiah did that, and that is why he is considered to be Judah's greatest king, greater than even David and Hezekiah. And think about this for a minute. After Huldah told him that the people were doomed for disobeying God, what did Josiah do? When he got this horrible, horrible news, this prophecy, what did he do? Rather than being fatalistic and thinking, well, shoot, why even bother? I guess this place is just going to hell in a handbasket. And throw in the towel, Josiah decided to obey and honor God, knowing full well that it would still end badly for his people. That's powerful obedience when it's not, you know, it's not putting in, uh, you know, some sort of coins into a vending machine thinking it'll spit out blessings. He knew it was going to be bad and he still did it. Josiah obeyed God because Josiah didn't treasure what God gives. Josiah treasured who God is. He loved God for who he is. That's my prayer that I'll be a man like that. 
Josiah renewed the covenant with God and his people. He cleaned the land of all idolatry and he kept the Passover because Josiah taught others to obey God's word. That's the kind of king that he was. And you and I can be faithful even when others around us are not by teaching others to obey God's word. We must follow Josiah's example, though, and personally obey before we call others to obey. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We don't want to be people who just tell everybody else what to do and and live like whatever. We want to obey first. Lest we forget, Jesus called us to obey him and commissioned us to teach others to obey him. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. According to Jesus, an essential part of making disciples is teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so will we be people, men and women, who obey and teach others to obey God's word? Will we? After Josiah led the nation back to God, what happened to the people and the greatest king? Follow along with me as I read verses 26 through 30. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. So even though Josiah obeyed God and led others to obey him, he couldn't pardon Judah. He couldn't. Josiah was Judah's best king, but God still didn't let Judah off the hook for for what Josiah did. Nothing Josiah did changed Huldah's prophecy. Judah paid for their sins, particularly, particularly Manasseh's sins, and God sent them into captivity to Babylon. Health, wealth, prosperity, gospel. I don't know what Bible they read, honestly. So Josiah's fate was better, but it still wasn't great. As we read, Josiah went out to battle against the king of Egypt. He risked his life. This is really key. I don't have time to preach on this because it would take a long time to unpack. But he risked his life for what he thought was best for his people. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo. But his silver lining, Josiah's silver lining was twofold. First of all, his servants brought his body back to Jerusalem and he was given a proper burial, which is a big deal. If you read the Old Testament, you see kind of the way you know how honorable or dishonorable a person was, was their burial. And go study that throughout the Old Testament. But secondly, more importantly, Josiah never had to experience being carried off into Babylon with Judah because he died before they were taken captive, just as Huldah had prophesied. Josiah was the best king Judah ever had, but he died like all the kings before and after him. And though he brought reform, it didn't matter because his people were taken away from their home. I mean, it mattered, but it didn't change their destiny, their fate. 
But here's why I, I want to kind of transition from that and, and point something out. 600 years after Josiah died, there was another king who was born. And though he wasn't born into uh, a royal family quite the same way, and his arrival didn't have all the trappings of pomp and circumstance, this king is the true and better king, the king of kings. Jesus is the king that Judah and Josiah longed for, the king that you and I desperately need. King Jesus didn't just risk his life for what he thought was best for his people, as Josiah did. King Jesus willingly laid down his life, sacrificing himself, knowing that he would have to, to give his life up for what is truly best for his people to save us from our sins. Josiah led the people to keep the Passover in remembrance of how the Jews had killed a lamb, painted their doorpost with their blood, and were spared from the angel of death as it killed the firstborn sons in Egypt. King Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb that that whole Passover rite looked forward to, who shed his spotless blood on the cross as the final ultimate sacrifice for sin. And the proof that Jesus is the king of kings is that he didn't stay dead, but God raised him from the grave and gave him an eternal throne and an eternal kingdom. And anyone who runs to Jesus in faith and repentance can have his blood painted on their heart so that they might be redeemed from sin and death and live forever with him in his kingdom. That's the gospel. And the reality is none of us could ever redeem ourselves. Though we try our best, we will fail because we are all at one time or another unfaithful. We just are. And thankfully, God is so good. He's so gracious. He's so merciful that he sent Jesus to perfectly and faithfully fulfill his law for us. And though we are unfaithful, we can be made faithful through the faithfulness of Jesus. We can stop trying to do it on our own and we can trust King Jesus to redeem us from sin. So I don't know each and every one of you. I haven't even met some of you. I don't know how you came in here today, but I do know this. I know how each and every one of us can leave here today. We can have our sin covered by the blood of Jesus. And not only that, when we put our trust in Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And now we have the power to live a new life one that is marked by faithfulness, one that is marked by loving God and loving his word and wanting to be a person who obeys. And though we were unfaithful in the past, we can be faithful moving forward. We can become men and women of faithfulness, boys and girls of faithfulness. And God wants to make us faithful and he will make us faithful if we will look to him and believe that he can do for us what we could never do on our own. Do you believe this? Let me pray for us. Father, we want to be men and women of character, men and women who are faithful. That's the desire of our hearts. And I know that that's echoed. That desire is echoed in other hearts and minds in this room today. I pray that you, by your goodness and your grace, would pour gasoline on those embers in our heart that want to be faithful, just Fuel those desires in every one of us in this place. And Father, help us just day by day 
to continue to submit ourselves to you, to surrender our lives to you, to dig into your word and to not just know it, but to seek to obey it like Josiah did with radical, radical obedience. Help us to identify the the idols in our lives, the idols in our hearts, the things that we are pursuing above you and help us to rip those things out. To set them on fire, to walk away from them, to, to leave them behind. Make us men and women who are faithful, first of all, to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to interrupt you. We're, I talked with Kevin. We're going to do something this morning. Keith doesn't know this. I'm going to invite Kendall to come up. And I want to lead us in a prayer, time of praying over your pastor and Kendall. I want to do that. If you would, just if you're comfortable, no pressure, you could come up here and join me. We're going to lay hands on them. If you're not comfortable with that, that's okay. But if you're comfortable, just come up here. We're going to lay hands on them and just pray over them. Yeah, we can move some things. Yeah. Thank you. Set this over here. If you're on the live stream, the angle is going to be a little weird for this. You might not see everybody, but it's okay. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the dollars. We thank you for their love for you, for this church. I thank you for their faithful shepherding and the way that they love these men and women and their families. I thank you for their obedience to your call on their life to plant this church to give everything they have so this outpost of the gospel would be here, that this family would be here. I thank you for the the prayers they pray, the unseen work that they do. Father, you know just all the ways that they pour themselves out for this church. And we just bless you for them. I pray that this moment would serve them to know that you see them and you see what they're doing. That this entire group of people, these brothers and sisters appreciate them. And God, I just um, pray your continued blessing on their family and this entire church, that you would keep blowing the wind of your Holy Spirit through them and this entire body. I pray that you would guard their hearts and their marriage and their children. I pray that you would um, just keep filling their cup with your love, that they would know you personally and deeply and that they would lead
from that place, from receiving from you and pouring out what you give. And Father, in seasons where they may get discouraged, I pray that you would give them what they need to keep going. And Father, we look forward to the ways your kingdom is going to continue to come right here in Garland as it is in heaven. Through this church, through this family. Thank you for your work. This is your work, Father. It's not ours. It's not theirs. It is your work. Keep doing your work. We submit ourselves. They submit themselves to you. I, I just... I know that, and I pray that you would keep honoring that heart, keep them humble, submitted, surrendered to you. Thank you for this precious family. In Jesus' name.